Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. <coughs> and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Bruce. How are you doing? Oh, all right. Settled into a Stanley Cup Finals without the Oilers, but uh, that's not really that new. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a long time since the end of the Oilers season yeah. and the start of the Stanley Cup Finals. That's a nice yeah. break for the Avs, a huge advantage yeah. for them, I think, honestly. So, Bruce, it's been a fairly quiet week. Um, so we'll just mm-hmm. uh, quickly go over, kind of skim over a number of topics to bring uh, ourselves and uh, everyone else in uh, oil country and uh, all the faithful up to date on our thoughts and the latest developments. Um, so we'll talk about Jay Woodcroft. We'll talk about um, Evander Kane, Yessa Pugliarvi, Kuzmenko. We'll talk about t- two-year deals. And um, I've got one word here that I can't even read that we're going to talk about. And we will t- we will talk about we'll talk about expecting the unexpected. And why don't we start there, Bruce? Because there's a lot like people are making all kinds of lists of players that the orders might get and throwing mm-hmm. out names and um, compiling names. And, um, you know, the, on the radio, they're throwing out names, this name, that name. And um, I, I'm a little bit um, that's not my thing. That's not what I do. And the the reason I don't do it is this summer. It's actually kind of twofold. First of all, last summer, last year after the season. At this time, if someone had said in the playoffs, the Edmonton Oilers would have had Zach Hyman, Evander Kane, Duncan Keith and Cody Ceci on their team and not Adam <laughs> Larson, who would have guessed yeah. that? Who would have guessed yeah. that? Like no one, zero. Mm-hmm. No one would have guessed that. They might have said, oh, yeah, we have a, ch- a slight chance at signing Hyman, um, that kind of thing. But, you know, it just it was it was completely unexpected. The, cha- the, the changes that happened on the team. And I'm expecting the same this year. Now, maybe last year was a little different because there was all that salary cap space um, to play with um, that that facilitated change. And Larson's departure also facilitated change to some extent. But I do think that um, the Oilers are in this position where they have two excellent playoff players in Drysaddle and McDavid and a great playoff run uh, to go by. So that we're going to be a very attractive destination for players and players who are good like Keith and Kane, who actually actually recruited the orders, I think, to come here. That's going to happen again. And Hyman, um, there's going to be players who are going to want to come here and we don't know who they are right now. Right. The, the second reason is, is the one I often give now, it, like, you know, we are going to get this player, or that player. I, I really don't know these players well enough to have an informed opinion on them. And, and I'm going to be completely honest with you, Bruce. I don't think most people who are writing about this, have enough information to make an informed opinion. They think they do. Many people think they do. I don't believe that they do. And um, it shows in their record over the years recommending this player and that player. You know, some of them turn out, some of them don't. They really don't. I mean, that's just the nature of all players coming in. But I don't think people have a good handle on players from other cities. I think we actually have a good handle on players on the Oilers and can talk about their value. So, like, we'll talk about Pugliarvi today and, mm-hmm. you know, what the Oilers should do with him. But I don't think most people giving their opinions – um, know enough about these players to actually offer them a whole lot, at least the definitive word on whether the order should acquire that player or not. They haven't put in the work that's necessary to evaluate a hockey player. 
So that's my that's my take on the summer. Expect the unexpected. We're going to have um, maybe some bad surprises, one or two bad surprises. But I bet you we'll have some really good ones, too. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, your original point about all the guys I added last summer mm-hmm. that you would never have seen coming uh, is well taken. That, you know, I mean, you look at the end of last summer, you know, anybody had had picked all those names in a pool, it would be like predicting the winners of all the World Cup games or something. You know, I mean, it just doesn't happen. Uh, that You know, there was, uh, there was several surprises, and you might have parsed this free agent or that, but there was some you know, storylines that took a fairly drastic turn, like those involving Duncan Keith and Evander Kane, to name two of the guys you you mentioned. So, yes, expect the unexpected is probably a good thing. I mean, you can say in general terms they're probably going to change out three or five guys on the team and not 15 and not none, you know, but uh, you, you don't entirely. Sometimes you have some pretty good clues as to who might be going, and other times... Uh, they pull a shocker in that department too, like Adam Larson, like that. Even though his contract was up, uh, I was always sort of 10% worried that he might leave, but 90% I thought, yeah, he's here to stay. You know, <coughs> yeah, didn't quite didn't quite work out that way. Yeah, so this year it's it's um, it's not you know you could say well you could go back two or three years and say well it was much more predictable in past summers who would stay or go like you know. But I, I do think because the Oilers are in this different kind of position where suddenly this really is an attractive place to come play hockey for the next year or two. Like if you're going to just sign a one-year deal, if you need to sign that one-year deal, yeah, <laughs> the Oilers are more in the running for that guy, that player, than ever before. And there's going to be 10 of those guys. There's going to be 10 of those guys. And this is what Elliot Friedman uh, made the point on Bob Stoffer's show. You know, they they were they were talking about you know, should the orders trade for Josh Anderson of Montreal or this player, or that player? And Friedman just made the point like, hey, hold on a second here. You know, you're going to have to give up a lot in trade to get Josh Anderson. That shouldn't be the Oilers' plan. The Oilers' plan should be to wait, be open. There's You, you have so much opportunity there. There, He, he was certain there's going to be players who are going to get squeezed by their teams and by the salary cap. And opportunity, excuse me, opportunities will present themselves to the Edmonton Oilers. That should be the plan, along with with Holland's plan of internal development. Those are the two plans for the summer, as far as can see the orders. But this whole thing about we're going to trade for this guy and give up, you know, useful assets. What a disaster! Personally, I think that's a disaster. That's that's that is poor hockey um, um, asset management to be looking at that. And to be taken on co- major contracts of players who are who are iffy bets in the, themselves on their own teams existing, and to give up a lot for them, let someone else do that. The orders aren't in that position right now, and um, probably, most likely, something better is going to come along. And you know what? If it doesn't, Bruce, let's say let's use the example of Josh Anderson. What yeah. are the chances that in the next five years, Dylan Holloway is going to score outscore Josh Anderson? If, if you don't end up getting anyone else to 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 replace Evander Kane, but you have Dylan Holloway back in the fold, and let's say you also have Yesapoliarvi back in the fold, what are the chances that that one or two of those guys are going to step up? I I actually think it's quite. A, I would bet, I would make a bet that Dylan Holloway is going to. Well, I don't know if I'd make a bet. I haven't seen him play enough, but 
you know, you know, based on his statistics, based on his growth as a, as a hockey player, based on what I have seen of him play, he's, he's a decent bet to be as, to, to score as much as Josh Anderson, as Josh Anderson heads into his early thirties and a player who's been injured a lot. So, um, those are the two things I'd like to see, you know, wait for things to come to you because they're going to come to you just like Duncan Keith did, which some people Mm -hmm. are still not happy with and others are happy with. Evander Kane, everybody's happy with that. They will come to you. And if that doesn't work out, you have Dylan Holloway, who's ready to go. Like, you've got to make a spot for that guy on your team. And then you have, behind Dylan Holloway, you have three or four other guys who are really good bets. You have, you know, Carter Savoy, Tyler Tulio, Matt V. Petrov, um, you know, Xavier Borgo. Xavier Borgo, excuse me, Raphael mm-hmm. Lebois. All of these yeah. guys coming up. That's mm-hmm. the plan. That's plan, you know, that, as Holland said himself, that's plan A. Mm-hmm. Good. Stick with plan A. And don't. And don't wreck yourself so down the line, like, you know, you bring in these more veterans and you can't pay these guys if they pan out. So I'm a little frustrated, honestly, with the conversation that's going on. Yeah, yeah. When you can't pay your own guys when they get good because you're locked up with outsiders that you brought in at exorbitant dollars, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. So. (laughs) They've already got Nuch and Hyman, right? Like these are guys yeah. in the, heading into their 30s. They've got yeah. two risky bets now. Mm-hmm. They've got Darnell Nurse. Um, mm-hmm. You know, suddenly seems like a risky bet. It didn't seem that way before he got injured, but suddenly seems that way because he just got injured. So that's recency bias. Right. But you have some major bets, big bets of players into their 30s. Man, you cannot make a ton of those and be competitive in the long haul. And I think the orders have made enough of them. Maybe maybe you could make one more bet on a goalie in his 30s if you're going to do that, like at, a, at an absolutely critical position where you're lacking a player. But other than that, no, you stay away from that. Like Duncan Keith was another really expensive bet, right, over two years. And it's kind of, you know, you could, you know, some people, again, will say it's worked out. Others, it hasn't. But the reason it hasn't, if it hasn't, is because he makes so much money. Yeah. He's such a huge cap hit. So yeah. you got to be extremely wary of taking on more money. And I don't see the orders, I don't see them doing yeah, that. Well, that's, I mean, the, <clears throat> being a, a tired old drum, that was always my concern with the Keith thing, was that they took on the full cap hit and that, you know, and they added another $5 million player onto their payroll, which suddenly has top three guys making $30 million and three more guys after that making $5-plus million. And then you got another five million in dead cap. Well, now you're at you're at fifty million dollars, and you got six players, and you haven't got five point five million dollars to hope that Josh Anderson suddenly turns it around and turns into to uh, Evander Kane. And honestly, David, I don't see much on that guy's track record that suggests that that would be a good uh, uh, a good bet at all. Like he, you know. Uh, He's played uh, five full or more or less full seasons in the NHL. He's had uh, uh, some injury problems that set him back. Uh, he does score some, like he topped out at 27 goals one year, but that's his only 20-goal season. Uh, his maximum assists is 20. He always has more goals than assists, like he's, you know, take the puck hard to the net kind of guy and, and not a whole lot of guile to his game that I, that I can see. And five five years left on his pact at five and a half million. I mean, <clears throat> we'd have to see what Montreal would take uh, 
in return in, in terms of salary, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I just don't see anything that would uh, measure up to a five-year commitment. And then, you know, what, let's put it this way. What are the chances that sometime before the five years are up that a large uh, number, probably majority of Oilers fans say that contract is a boat anchor. I wish we could get rid of it. Well, it's probably a very high chance. 75 to 80 percent, 90 percent like chance, mm -hmm. like by the end of the contract, which is a lot. It's five more years, right? That's yeah, a long yeah. time. So yeah. it's probably almost 100 <laughs> percent. Well. I hate to be negative, but if you look at big players mm -hmm. like that, you know, um, yeah. who are heading into their heading into. So this leads us to Evander Kane, Bruce. Right. So he's um, 31, and um, he's he he's fantastic for the Oilers. Let's let's like be honest. Like his hands were fantastic. He was the perfect running mate for either McDavid or Drysital. He was really nasty. He brought some swagger to the team. He was excellent. Uh, but he is 31, and he had a really high, sh you know, career high kind of sh shooting percentage playing with McDavid <coughs> and Drysital, which. His shooting percentage could improve, right? Because if he was to continue to play with those guys, and also because he wasn't on the first power play that much, if he was to get more power play time, um, which would have driven up his numbers even more and earned more money, you know, he, that's also a place where you get more high percentage shots. So I'm not as worried about the shooting percentage as I am about his age and um, about the, obviously, the term of the contract and the amount. I We were talking the last time we talked about his kind of going away uh, tweet or letter mm -hmm. to Oilers fans. Yep. Um, Brian Lawton was on Oilers now, and he talked, he he, he was very interesting because he said just based on pure performance, Kane would probably garner about $7 million a year on a four-year deal. And I think that's accurate. But Lawton then added the proviso, you know, there's lots of people in the NHL with long memories um, about Kane as a player and as a person, and they don't like him, essentially. <laughs> and he thinks in the end that if on a four-year deal, Kane's going to get something in the $5 million range you know, something between five and six. Mm -hmm. So that becomes slightly more doable for the orders, I guess. I mean, if, if you do that, then that's your whole summer, right? You, you really can't do a whole else, a lot else, unless you're able to move out Cassian and Fogel, for instance, like, you know, make and, and Barry and make all a number of mm -hmm. pretty, and, and not bring back Pugliarvi, maybe not even Yamamoto that, you know, you could do maybe more than if you really, really exercise. <laughs> so I think there's, and, and, and added to that is last winter when Kane was available, because of his checkered history, there's just a lot of teams, Bruce, and, and I really believe this. There's a lot of teams, especially in certain cities like Toronto, Montreal, where the politics are different, where, where there's more, you know, politically correct would be the old phrase about the fan base. They're not going to accept, and, and in the eastern seaboard in the States and in California, the United States, there will be hell to pay in some cities if they sign Evander Kane. And that's why the market was so small last winter. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how much that's changed. So that's another factor that, that could shrink the market for Kane and have him signing for less than he's, his performance would indicate. As, and that's what Brian Lawton is expecting to happen. I think that's actually a pretty reasonable assumption uh, to happen, even though many, many, many people are predicting he'll get $7 million a year. And you only need one team, of course, to offer that for him right. to get that. So what would you think? If the orders, let's say, let's say Lawton's correct, and the orders could get Kane at five point, let's say five point five billion, right in the middle of the five million dollar range for four mm -hmm. years, what would you, what would be your thought? 
Well, I would say that's a better player than Josh Anderson, and the acquisition cost is zero as opposed to whatever they would have to trade to get Josh Anderson. So, I mean, there's there's that. I mean, uh, your point about political correctitude is, uh, uh, you know, there's different levels of it in different places, but there's lots of people in Edmonton that were fairly upset by that signing. And oh, some there people, were. Yeah, and some people are still living by decisions that they made at that time uh, in terms of, but uh, uh, <clears throat> he... They've uh, stopped being fans is what you're saying. They've stopped well, watching. Well, for a paying few people fans. Have. I've, I've, paying I've noticed that. Yeah, there's a, there is yeah. a handful of people, and, I've, and I don't know how many that is, but I agree. Right. And, and, and I'm not actually commenting on whether it's right, right or wrong right. to have that attitude about Kane right now. I'm just, I, right. I mean, I have commented on it, and my, I have my own take on it. But I, I just think it's a fact of the negotiation. That's the only thing I'm trying to establish because I do think it is a fact of the negotiation. Right. And he did a lot to actually improve in, uh, his reputation while he was here. I never heard of a single um, issue that he had, you know, out in the public forum. And on the ice, you know, I mean, he showed a lot with, the, you know, it's the breadth of his game. Uh, unfortunately, he probably devalued himself somewhat with that suspension he took that uh, took him out of the last game that um i don't you know i, don't, I mean that that hurt his team and it, did. it was you know it was a dumb play and it was a dangerous play i just don't see how that would necessarily raise his value i guess maybe you know, i was going to say philadelphia might might like that but uh you know well it, you play on uh, the edge right like he was playing on yes, the edge so yes so and that's, that's, that's when you play on the edge you're going to make plays like that now and then right so just like the guy he took out. Uh, Just like Patrick. the guy. We all got played it coming. On, played on the edge and every once in a while would go over the edge. And yeah. this time he was on the wrong edge of the edge. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, like, I, I would like, like Kane was really spectacular for the order. So I'm, if they could get him for that kind of money with the, the acquisition cost, even on a four-year deal, I there's significant mm -hmm. risk with that deal. And probably by the fourth year of that, you know, there's a 75% chance that most Oilers fans will be saying, oh, God, I wish we could get out from under this deal. But mm -hmm. there's also a significant, like, it's so hard to win the Stanley Cup. It is so incredibly difficult to win the Stanley Cup. There's 32 teams now. So once every 32 years, on average, you're going to win it. And, and you know, and, and that's, there's dynasty teams, right, that, that change those odds that make your odds even less. So you have, you, the Oilers are in this position right now to win the Stanley Cup. There's just no denying it. They were in the final four. They were close. They hadn't been injured. So you take. I think you take a bet like that for sure with Kane, if it's open to you, if you could get him for four years at 5.5 million. And, and you figure out ways. So you move then Tyson Berry. You know, you buy out Zach Cassian. You you choose between Yamamoto and Puglia Yarvi, one of the two. You you try to trade Warren Fogel without... Um, and then you, you then you hope that the young players you have in your system can step up, and right. you know you get other cheap veterans. You get a few uh, mm -hmm. veterans at a replacement level cost, to, and that so that's that would be the play if they were to, to bring back Kane at that amount of money. Yeah, well, it's funny you should mention that, Dave. It is exactly 32 years since the Oilers last won the Stanley Cup, or and it's exactly 16 years since they were last in the Stanley Cup Finals, which now mathematically that is the equation for just making the finals and getting out of your conference is once in 16 years. And we won't talk much about their accomplishments during those last 16 years. Uh, but, uh, you know, in, when it actually comes to playoff time, they have had a, 
uh, modicum of success. Um, but uh, yeah, the the window is certainly now, and it's uh, not going to open any wider. It's going to start closing. It's uh, it's my take. So there is, uh, and but to some extent, the die is cast. I mean, last summer, uh, uh, Holland signed uh, five long-term contracts of three-plus years and big money. He also signed a sixth one in uh, Darnell Nurse that the contract didn't kick in for another year when he signed it last summer, and then he traded for Keith. Well, that was seven major transactions. And now you get to this summer, and all those guys are on the payroll and locked in at their, you know, their large seven-figure, in one case, eight-figure contracts. And only one guy, Mikko Koskinen, is coming off the books. Well, that doesn't really provide you a whole lot of relief. In fact, the Mikko Koskinen <coughs> departure, all that does really is pay for the Darnell Nurse raise and nothing else. So he just doesn't have a lot of walking around money. Summer, summer of Ken was last summer. And this summer is, you know, patching holes and trying to, trying to, uh, to figure out which small areas of the team you can improve on and uh, and and working on those and looking for bargains and i'd like to i'd like to see a few more bargain signings frankly i think that's an area where the org has fallen a bit short yeah and and so of those new signings hyman nugent hopkins and nurse all have no movement con no movement clauses <laughs> so it's not like yeah so <laughs> you're right this is the team and mm -hmm. can they add significant pieces to it? Well, Ken Holland is right. That was a very realistic message that he gave to fans. Like internal improvement on this team is all important. Now you now that that said, you might be able to move out Fogel or Barry um, because they they are. I think Tyson Barry you could probably trade yes. and get value. So could you trade Fogel because Fogel's two point seven million? Maybe like there might be a team that's fairly expensive for him and. Moving out Cassian is even more difficult because he's older than Fogel and he's not as good. He's at and he's at, at a higher cost. So first there's talk of um uh let's just start with Jay Woodcroft. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, how worried are you that Jay Woodcroft will not be here next season? With ten uh, being very worried and one not worried at all. With ten being petrified? Yeah. Okay. Uh maybe two. I mean, I'm a little bit uh was expecting, frankly, it would be done this week. And now this week seems to have come and gone. And it's not gone, done. And there's, there's somebody had something out there saying that they talked and they made progress, but there was still a couple of outstanding issues. And someone else stepped in with the opinion that maybe that's a good thing that Woodcroft is holding firm to, you know, get certain, certain uh, concessions or whatever to run his own team. But who knows? I mean. Unless you were sitting at the next table at Joey's the other day, you know, which we're all just speculating. But my my base level speculation is that there is no better place for Jay Woodcroft to go than right here in Edmonton, and that there is no better coach for the Edmonton Oilers to uh, hire uh, than Jay Woodcroft at this point in time. I mean, we've done the. Well, let's go out and get a respected coach. I mean, we got Pat Quinn. How'd that work out? But in recent years, we got Todd McClellan, Ken Hitchcock, uh, Dave Tippett. Tippett. We've done, you know, been there, done that. I mean, 
people say, well, Paul Maurice is an established coach. Oh, there's a ton of established coaches. And guess what? They're all getting recycled again. Tortorella, for Pete's sake, is back in the back in the NHL. And, and uh, oh, Vegas just signed uh, Bruce Cassidy out of Boston. And it seems like, you know, if you've got 32 teams in the league, it seems like 30 of them have coaches that coach somewhere else first. Uh, I'm exaggerating, but not by enough. I mean, it really is yeah. a recycle. And here's an opportunity for the Oilers to break that cycle. Uh, and, I mean, to an extent, they've already done it because uh, Woodcroft's got that, you know, very strong uh, half-season plus playoff run already on his NHL resume. But they've done it the hard way by developing, mm-hmm. developing him in their own system. They'd be foolish to, to, uh, to uh, let go of that investment. I wouldn't be surprised if the sticking point is money. <coughs> Bruce, the Oilers... Mm-hmm. You know, not this year, but the last, the previous year, I think the orders lost, you know, in the neighborhood, $50 million right. and upwards. It's a lot of money to lose, even as the franchise is going up in value considerably. Uh, that's a lot of money to lose. And and we did hear about cost savings within the front office. I think right. like not as many scouts and things like that. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's it could be around money, but I, I expect Woodcroft to be back. And I agree with you. He's the best choice by far. He knows mm-hmm. all the players in the system. So, and, and I'll give you an example of this. We we know when he came in, you know, Tyler Benson had been trying to make the team. And, and you just get a feeling like if the Oilers decide to move on from Tyler Benson now, which is likely, that you trust that Jake Woodcroft knows this player inside out, mm-hmm. was going to give him every fair shake. And, you know, and that's going down the line of all of these players. He knows all these young guys. And it's not going to be a situation where they don't get a fair shake. And I, and I still think that happened, for for example, with Anton Lander in the past. You know, that Todd, he was thriving under Todd Nelson. Well, right. I think if the Oilers had hired Todd Nelson that year to uh-huh. be their head coach, they would have been better off than going with an experienced coach. He was, he was an excellent minor league coach. He, you know, with all kinds of experience, knew those all those players inside uh-huh. out. And then they went in a different direction uh, with uh-huh. Todd McClellan. So I like the fact that they've this, this coach knows the organization and all of these players inside out. He knows Raphael Lavoie. He knows um, DeHarnay and Kesselring, what they're capable of, what they're not. And and so familiar with them, and it's got to be an advantage to the Oilers. And, of course, he did an outstanding job, did G.A. Woodcroft um, this year, except for that overtime when he had Kulak and Keith out at the same time there. So, uh but I think he'll sign too, so I'm not worried either, Bruce. Well, and you talk about money. I mean, <laughs> do you think going out and signing a Paul Maurice off the open market is going to be cheaper than no, bringing back all. a rookie coach? I sure don't. No, I don't. Think you know, I mean, Wood, Woodcroft. I mean, sure, he's going to negotiate a good salary for himself, but he's not in a place to command, you know, the huge money. And in any event, the, what the coaches get paid is a fraction of what the top players get. Right, it's uh, that is true. it's one probably uh, going to be ones. I don't know what he'll get, like a million, million or million five to coach. I'm just guessing. I have no idea what what uh, inexperienced coaches get. I haven't looked it up. Bruce, um, they won't let's tell talk, them either. Let's talk. They don't yeah. publish those salaries. They sure do publish the other ones. And honestly, the ones they publish was done at the players' request to the players' advantage. That has raised the raised the market, but they put players pay a heavy price for that in terms of the the uh, um, negativity surrounding the salaries that they make, uh, that they endure. But so we it's, always, a, it's a real double-edged sword. We've known how much they've made for decades, though. 
I mean, in the 70s, we knew what the Oilers all made. Like, they always announced it, right? Like, Glenn Anderson signed, like, like an eight-year deal for $2.4 million or whatever it was. Like, we, we knew that kind of uh, detail back then, too. But now we really, like, now it's right. almost immediate that you know immediately exactly what they made and the, all the terms of the contract and everything. They went for publishing because Gordie Howe, among others, got kept getting screwed by the uh, Jack Adams and the Red Wings because he d- didn't know what all the other players were making, and he was severely underpaid. And the players thought, no, as long as we if we go public with this, it'll be to our own benefit. We just have to grit our teeth against the slings and arrows of uh, public opinion. Indeed. So, Bruce, there's been a player uh, who's shopping for a team, Andre Kuzmenko. He's a free agent mm-hmm. from the KHL. Um, 53 points in 45 games last year he's 26 years old he's a smaller player five five eleven 194 it says according to this um and um so kind of a career year he's been getting better and better there's rumors that um ken holland's been interested in this guy for some time. So there's three or four teams after him i guess the cautionary tale is kuzmenko had 53 points the next two players on the team were anton bertasov 42 points and Nikita Gusev at 35 points in 31 games. So these are, Bertasov had a try with the Oilers, really mm-hmm. wasn't that close to being an NHL player. And Gusev was the cream of the KHL. He was the, the best or second best player for a few years. He comes to North America and he, and he failed to make it. So I can't say that I'm sitting on the edge of my seat about the, Kuzm- the possibility that Andre Kuzmenko will be with the Oilers. I'd be surprised if he was a top six player in the NHL. Um, so if he's going to make it in the NHL, can this player who was a scoring player in the in the KHL come over here and find a job on the third line, like be a really good checking player and kind of, you know, does he have that in his head or does he have visions of playing with McDavid and Drysaddle dancing in his head? So I'm not, I'm, I'm whatever. If they sign him, that's good. But if right. they don't, that's 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 fine too. How do you see it? Yeah, well, <clears throat> he's in a situation where at the age that he's at, which I believe is 26, yeah. uh, as an unsigned, um, undrafted um, free agent, uh, he has to come over on an entry-level contract uh, with all the limitations of entry-level contracts. Uh, oh, he does. But eh? only a only a one year deal. Same thing I that see. Haas and Nigard had to accept when they came over. One year ELC. It limits their salary at nine hundred twenty five thousand dollars. There can be bonuses, but it's a strict schedule of bonuses that is uh, uh, that is approved. Uh, and of course, if you earn those bonuses, well, you're helping the team in the process of earning the bonuses. And then after <laughs> one year of that ELC, basically he'll already be twenty seven and and. Uh, uh, potentially an unrestricted free agent. So um, it's a good situation for him. And I mean, if I'm his agent, and let's bear in mind that his agent is the same guy who placed Evander Kane in Edmonton uh, on much the same theory. You go to Edmonton, you play with McDavid and or Dreisaitl, you light it up, you cash in. And that's an actual selling point for the Oilers right now. And if I were the Oilers, I'd be selling it hard to one-year guys. Not saying, well, let's go out and get a guy that's got five years left to five and a half million. Let's go out and sign a guy on the cheap for a year. And if he cashes in and, and becomes too expensive, he moves on. Let's find the next guy. 
Uh, not to say that Andrei Kuzmenko is the next Evander Kane, because he's not. Uh, but he is a guy that might come in and score some goals. I think one thing about him is I've noticed his ste- steady improvement in the KHL from 15 points to 25 to 31 to 33 to 37, and then a big jump to 53. And also for, uh, and this is also a handle handle with care stat, but on a career basis, I think it means more than it does on a, any individual game. Plus minus, plus 11, plus 21, plus 23, plus 20, plus 17, plus 15. Every year, a significant outscoring player uh, on his KHL club. So it, that suggests to me that he doesn't stink defensively. And, I mean, that was, I think, part of the issue with Gusev was that he was a, sort of a one-way player and not, yeah, well, yeah. he wasn't scoring. He wasn't doing a lot to help the team. And then... I mean, we haven't seen this guy at all. I've never seen, I don't think. Uh, no, me neither. Uh, I mean, may he played two games at the World Championships this year. If I watched one of those games, I didn't really notice the guy. And he, uh, uh, so it's a total wild card. But like I say, the one-year sale aspect is something the Oilers should be selling hard. You want to come here and establish a reputation? Boy, do we have guys to set you up. You just got to put the puck in the net, and we're all going to be happy. You know, that... I didn't know that about the rookie contract. Mm-hmm. I thought they might have to pay him like a million five or two million. Like if he's coming here, essentially, you know, replacement level or close to it. Um, mm-hmm. Like the minimum salary is, is it 700 or 800,000, 750,000, something like that. 925. It might've gone up because the min- Oh, the minimum, sorry. The minimum is 750 now. Okay. Yeah. So the he's going to be, he would maximum is something just under 1 million. He'd be that. So yeah. that's a pretty good deal for the Oilers. And, you know, you have injuries. We saw it in the playoffs. Yamamoto went out. Pugliarvi got hurt. Um, people playing with injuries. So, um, yeah, um, if they can bring him in on the, those circumstances, that would be quite a benefit to the organization because there's <coughs> no harm in signing all kinds of players like that. If they don't make it, you just send them to Bakersfield. And it costs Daryl Cates, but it doesn't cost the Edmonton Oilers anything in terms of their cap. So, um, yeah, sign that guy up <laughs> tomorrow then. And uh, lost 50 million a couple of years ago, but yeah, better to sign the guy at a, at a, at a 1 million plus some modest bonuses as opposed to going all in. Yeah. Um, so let's just quickly talk about Pugliarvi, Bruce. What sure. do you hope to see? You know, like if it were, what would you be your ideal, term contract for Yesapoli RV or is it something else that you're hoping to see? Yeah. Uh, well, my ideal wa- was uh, while his, uh, his stats were modest was to sign him to a decent term at a decently low price. You know, but I mean, low isn't going to be low, low, but uh, uh, he, Unfortunately, his play did taper off in the in the last part of the uh, playoffs or season and the playoffs after he suffered that illness in uh, in April, and uh, I didn't see him as good after that as before. And he still had you know he still had some pretty nice um, um, uh, what we call underlying numbers or fancy stats even in the playoffs, um, but. Uh, I thought in the regular season he was consistent in that department. He was tilting the uh, tilting the ice in favor of the Oilers. Uh, I posted on my Twitter feed yesterday. I retweeted some from uh, Dmitry Filipovich uh, showing a uh, 
extended clip of Pugliarvi just causing turnovers, making checks, winning puck battles, keeping the puck in the zone, and, you know, springing pucks loose, or what you often call popping pucks. And often those popped pucks would pop to McDavid or, or Dreisaitl, and good things might happen. And, you know, in the video, it actually didn't show many goals, but it sure showed a whole bunch of chances that, yeah, that came from these plays, and some of them do turn into goals, and many of them would be the kind that you and I would credit on our Cult of Hockey Grade 8 Shots project, but don't actually show up in the summary. So people look at it and say, well, 14 goals, 22 assists, playing with McDavid, that's not very good. And to me, the more nuanced view would say, well, that's, yeah, but that's in 63 games, I think it was, because uh, he missed a bunch of time with two, three different issues, uh, both uh, uh, wellness as well as a, a, a significant injury that uh, uh, put him out for over a month. And he clearly wasn't skating the same when he returned to the lineup. So to me, I mean, you trade that guy. I mean, you're still going to have to find someone for, to fill that position. And he's probably going to be more expensive. I mean, I'm, you, you know me, I've long been in the, in the camp of, you build from within and you you know you groom your own players and you don't get rid of them when they're 24 years old because they're not quite superstars <laughs> yet. so well that's i've seen enough of that guy let's go out and get josh anderson you know that's going to solve it and it doesn't solve it and our you know our team has a pretty strong history of showing that route doesn't work well and i'm hoping that zach hyman for instance will be the exception to that rule, but it's, uh, it's, uh, you can only go to that well so often. And yeah. to me, I would rather, you know, if you, if you ask me the question, well, who would you keep between Yamamoto or Pugliarvi? My immediate answer is both. And, you know, you've got good young players that are developing here and I don't think their costs will be they're You know, they're in line for raises. Their contracts are up. They outperform those contracts. So you're going to have to, do something with your budget, but it's not going to cost you as much to to uh, re-up those guys in their RFA years as it is to go out and find a you know top six winger to you know uh, I replace. yeah ideally they could move out Cassian and Fogel mm-hmm. and bring back Yamamoto and Puliarvi at the same salaries like yeah, well, give give Yamamoto at like their three, salaries yeah oh. their salaries give Yamamoto three point two million dollars for four years and Puliarvi two point seven million for three years like. <clears throat> this is the perfect time to sign Yesapuli Arvi mm-hmm. to a longer term contract because he didn't, he had that, you know, if he had continued on, we would mm-hmm. be talking about a five year deal at $5 million a year for Yesapuli Arvi. You know, if he had continued on, obviously at the pace he was early in the year, which was point oh. a game. Now he, he did taper off and he, yep. there was a significant drop of confidence. Yep. You know, Ken Holland talked about, a, he lost his confidence. That's what it looked like. He was afraid to make plays with the puck. He wasn't holding on to the puck. He wasn't confident with the puck. He was getting knocked over again. He was going through a real rough spell in his game, which can happen to players, especially if they've been injured. So, um, but Bruce, through the year, he was one of the best Oilers two-way wingers. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, my preference would be to see him, I think this is an opportunity to sign him to like a three-year deal at, at like Warren Fogel's money. And I wish, you know, I just, you know, trade Warren Fogel if you can and keep Yesapuliarvi. That's That would be what I would hope to see. Um, if there's a problem about giving them that amount of money, you need cap space for it. Um, so yeah, I'm, that's that would be my hope is you can sign. Don't just and, and after that, then if you can't do that, sign them then to a one-year deal. 
And I think you're going to pay for that like you did with Darnell Nurse. Yeah. I think that's probably going to be the consequence if you go that mm -hmm. route. So I would mm -hmm. prefer to see a three-year deal than a one-year deal. And uh, because I think Pugliarvi will score probably 20 goals next year. That he, you know, it's his his drop was fairly quick and precipitous this season. Um, so it happened right at the end and, it, and it, he fell far fast. He was a shadow of himself in the playoffs. So then that's in our minds. But if you go through the whole year, this is a good hockey player. He offers a lot on the forecheck defensively in front of the net. He, he mm -hmm. can pass the puck. He's unselfish. He's not a great fit. He's no Evander Kane finishing, right? right. Like No, no, no. And, and, and he's not going to be, I don't think. Probably he's, not. He's more of a, he's more of, you know, um, he's a, he's a, he's a player who, he's a glue player. That's how he played this past year. He made his lines better. Mm -hmm. I believe that to be true. And there's a whole host of statistics that show that. That's what we saw. So, yeah, I'm, I'd like to see a three-year deal at a reasonable price. I think that would be fantastic. I just don't know what they want, what Pugliarvi wants. Right. And if there's any other issues, you know, we have no idea about it. You know, does he want to be here? We don't know. Sounded like, you know, the interview in Finland where he was certainly sounded open to coming back to Edmonton. Mm -hmm. He so, wants to be in the uh, NHL is what he said first and foremost, but he didn't yeah. say, I want to get the hell out of Edmonton. Uh, yeah. was, you know, I mean, that, his first, his first uh, option would be to, you know, stay with the team that he's been with. But, you know, and, and I know some people get flat out angry as soon as they hear a, a stat like expected goals, like it's completely bogus, you know, bullshit stat. It's got nothing going for it. Well, Yes, Pooley Arby led the Oilers in expected goals percentage this year at just under 60%. And what that does is it predicts what the outcome of goals will be when that player is in the, on the ice. Well, guess what? When Pooley Arby was on the ice, he was number one in the team in actual goals for percentage at 65%. The expected goals actually sold short the actual results. And sure, some of that was with McDavid, but... McDavid did better when he was with Pugliarvi than he did without him. And the same went with Nugent Hopkins, with Dreisaitl, and basically up and down the lineup, Pugliarvi improved whatever line he was on, which is different from saying he's the best player on those lines, because generally he wasn't, uh, with possible well, exception of yeah. a depth line, where he might have been. But uh, if he's in the top six, you know, he wasn't the best player on that line, but he made that line better. And the one player that I've made a comparison to wrote a long post about this, Valerie Nachushkin. You can watch that guy now. In fact, we just got an eyeful of him in the conference finals. And he's uh, three years older than Pugliarvi and a couple of years ahead of him on the uh, NHL, you know, career path. And Colorado, after after getting him for nothing out of Dallas, who gave up on the guy, that's really what you don't want to do with Jesse Pugliarvi. Uh, after uh, Colorado got him, they got him one year cheap. They took a two-year extension at $2.5 million. Great bargain. He was hugely outperforming that. But guess what? Now he's 27 and he's about to be an unrestricted free agent. And he's going to probably leave that team and he's probably going to make a lot of money next year. So Colorado, by going two years, they got the guy at a really good rate. But they, you know, they, they kind of put a <coughs> deadline on the back end of it. And you can't say for sure that he's going to be that kind of player. I mean, Nichushkin has made massive strides forward in the last uh, uh, couple of years. 
but there are things in common. And in fact, that um, tweet that I mentioned earlier where I retweeted Dmitry Filipovich uh, showing the Pugliarvi clip, that was in response to a clip of Nachushkin's play without the puck, mostly in game one of the Stanley Cup finals and how great he was at closing down spaces and, and, and just sort of shutting down breakouts before they even reach the blue line and the two <coughs> clips it's pretty pretty instructive to compare the two and, and watching through them each a couple of times i'm going geez bruce you actually got one right these two players are pretty similar there's there's things in common with with uh with their games and it's uh it, it's not as obvious as you know going in scoring beautiful goals and stuff uh but winning the ice and winning puck battles or sawing off puck battles and popping pucks loose, is, it's such a big part of the game. And it's undervalued. And it's undervalued, I think, by management in some cases, undervalued by fans in a lot of cases. Uh, but you need to have some of that on your team. And the Oilers have got a good one. And I just don't know why they wouldn't uh, do what they can to keep that guy around for a while. Yeah. It's funny with Pugliarvi. Like, you hear this, like... Sometimes you hear about this hockey IQ issue with Pugliarvi, oh, and I don't get it. Like yeah. honestly, he seems like a really smart hockey player to me. Like he's, I mean, he's a winger for once. Like you're a winger. Your job is to be the, you drive the team with your energy and your speed and your forechecking. I mean, how much thought goes into that in the first place in the mm-hmm. uh, forechecking? It's just hard work, mm-hmm. sk- skill, speed. And I mean, but he he defensively he he tends mm-hmm. to cover off his players now. It, Everything was affected as the year went on. There were some, you know, issues at both ends of the ice with Pugliari. <laughs> but, again, we see this again and again with injured players. It's not uncommon. So, yeah, I hope the orders make the right decision. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Bring back both Yamamoto and Pugliari. Find a way to do that. These are mm-hmm. two wingers who've shown they can play in the top six. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's keep those players on the team. Bruce, um I, I I figured out the word that I couldn't read before. It's retirements, and referring to Mike Smith and Duncan Keith. Um, I don't see Duncan Keith retiring. He seems like a hockey fanatic. He played his best. He played better as the year went on. He played some of his best hockey in the playoffs. He wasn't great in the playoffs. Like you know, there's a. I think some people are not saying he was great in the playoffs. I think he was good or he was okay in the playoffs against tough competition in the playoffs. Duncan Keith was okay. That would be my assessment. He wasn't. He he didn't light it up. He wasn't. He wasn't Cody Cece, who was really outstanding in the same role. He was okay and hung in there and helped out Evan Bouchard and was a veteran leader and, and came through in that way. I and so I'm okay if he comes back one more year, even at his cap hit. I think it would be probably better for the team if he retired. If I was completely honest, and, and you know Duncan Keith announced his retirement, I think oh well that's. That's that's yeah. a, some cap hit money the Oilers could use. I'm not against that, but if he does decide to come back, I think it's okay. Um, Mike Smith, he he was really quite injured. It sounds like through the year, and it wouldn't be surprised if he did go on. Like, is he going to retire or go on L, LTIR for the final year? It wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't playing on the Oilers no. next year, given yeah, the injury history and the and the toll on his body. I don't think the toll was the same on Duncan Keith, so I expect Keith back, and it sounds like Smith um, may not be, in, and it'll be a LTIR situation. What's your read on the retirement front? 
Yeah, well, the uh, uh, the bit of news that had a lot of people salivating uh, that Duncan Keith might be thinking about um, uh, packing it in was that the Oilers would supposedly not only get his cap hit back, but they would get an additional $3.4 million in cap space because Chicago would get... Uh, would get hammered with the uh, cap recapture penalty. You know, the same one that just got applied to, uh, a while back to Vancouver on the Roberto Luongo contract. These long, 13-year type deals from the uh, uh, from the mid 2000s into uh, about 10 minutes before the 2012 lockout. Teams were still locking players it down for long, long terms into the future, but they retroactively came up with this cap recapture. And theoretically, that was going to work to the order's advantage. And then apparently news of this got out to the NHL head office that Edmonton's going to get a break. We can't let that happen. So that's already been kiboshed that if Keith does retire, they would only get the 5.5 and not the $9 million it looked like, which would have been just a fantastic windfall. But at 5.5, I mean, the Athletic, for instance, they did a big project where they valued what each player was worth compared to his cap hit. For Duncan Keith, they came up with $1.6 million against 5.5. And I mean, how they did all that, it's been a little bit of a black box, but uh, uh, in fact, a whole lot of a black box, but, but a lot of the values of players on other teams and stuff sort of passed the smell test. And I mean, I was surprised to see him come in quite that low, but uh, uh, their point being that he, you know, he's not a five and a half million dollar player anymore, and that defensively he's really quite vulnerable. And I mean, that's been a, a fairly well established fact over his last two or three years in Chicago. And he, anyway, he, uh, uh, I don't see him retiring either. So I think it's a moot point, and they're sure not going to be trading him anywhere else now, are they? You know, I think that's unfair to Duncan Keith in that he had a really rough start to the year. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you could say he was a $1 million a year player for the first 30 games of the season. But, <laughs> excuse me, as the season went along, he started to play pretty good hockey. Pretty, He was playing fairly tough competition. He was second pairing consistently mm-hmm. um, all year long. And that's tough competition. He's in the top four. There's a considerable drop-off between what those top four guys experience and what the bottom pairing guys experience in terms of quality of competition now as the year went on darnell nurse and cc started to play more and more of the really tough yeah. competition so that made it a little easier on on keith and bouchard but um i thought uh keith came on pretty strong and was close to being by the end like five and a half million that's a pretty big hit but mm-hmm. he's like a he's he was a, a better than average nhl player at that point i would say um, so he's like a four million dollar a year player to me in in the, for the last half of the season and the playoffs. I'm going to say I would value him at about a four million dollar a year player. Mm-hmm. You know, in the first half, maybe a one million dollar a year player. He wasn't very good at all. Right. That was he was disappointing. So um, I don't know what that average is out to, but I think <clears throat> we can hope that he will continue on once he settled into the Oilers. Once he, you know, got it into the groove with his new team, he became a pretty good player. And I think he'll be the same probably next year, given the fact that he is an absolute uh, fitness fanatic, of uh, which I have no zero doubt. And, and I really do believe he's an outstanding example in that way to his teammates. You know, having that kind of older player who really takes care of himself 
I mean, that's fantastic for Hyman and Nugent Hopkins and Nurse, all these guys to see heading into their 30s. Like, you can do it. You can play till you're 35. And, and if you really are a fanatic about it, take care of yourself. Now, maybe they were all doing it anyway, all those guys. But um, so anyway, I think that's a little harsh with the uh, the athletics rating. I, I don't agree with it. I think it was it's not accurate. With Duncan Keith. It was strictly numbers. They sure wouldn't be in that. Would be zero component for you know leadership or setting example or mentoring or any of those other good things that uh, uh, reportedly he uh, uh, he did for the club. Uh, I do know that defensively. I mean, I I don't have to probe very deep in my memory box to, banks to see Adrian Kempa just going right around him and scoring an overtime goal. Or indeed, the very last moment of the season when Arturi Lekkinen got behind him right off a face-off and wound up getting a deflection and a rebound with nobody uh, around him. I mean, that was when I talked about getting a veteran for the big moments in the playoffs. That seemed like a pretty big moment. There were some disappointing moments from the veteran in the playoffs. I agree, Bruce. <laughs> there ain't no denying it. That is true. All the defensemen, though, mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, it's not true that all the defensemen struggled in the playoffs. Cody Ceci was fantastic in the playoffs. Playing against tough competition, <laughs> with that proviso, like it wasn't like he was mm-hmm. air-free, mistake-free. Right. He was fantastic in that role. Mm-hmm. And in a third-pairing role, Kulak and Barry were also mm-hmm. fantastic. They really did well. They also made mistakes, so yep. uh, we, we can probably think of. But Keith... Keith, Keith did, um, you know, I think he actually peaked in the in the Calgary series. He was really, really good. And um, against the Avs, he struggled like most of that Oilers team really struggled. And um, he wasn't alone in making mistakes, although he made no. some big, big and notable mistakes, including the play. I can visit, I envision, I see it right now in my mind too. Like, because we go over the videotape and there he is again and again. Mm-hmm not covering Lekkanen as he goes to the net. So yeah. I do remember that, Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's um, Colorado exposed a few <clears throat> issues with the Oilers. And, uh, I mean, the fact is that Oilers' defense structure, as you pointed out, with uh, CeCe and Nurse being sort of the super number one pairing, it was almost like they had a top pairing and two third pairings, the way the yeah. deployment went in terms of at least uh, – quality of competition there's just this vast gap between the top two guys and everyone else uh but nurse playing at 40 or 70 or whatever percent he was on any given night uh was certainly never close to 100 percent. it didn't look like and so that top pairing was not as strong and cc did a pretty good job uh covering off but uh the top pairing was not as strong to really make that strategy work as well as it as it definitely did uh down the stretch of the regular season yeah and i mean we've talked about this nurse got mm-hmm. essentially got eaten alive against the abs and he really struggled because of his injuries there so you know tyson barry i have to say really was great in the playoffs like if mm-hmm. he gets traded I, i'm not going to be happy he's a he's a good hockey player he's he's probably has though more value to another team than he has to the Edmonton Oilers. The Oilers can slot in Bouchard. They probably should slot in Bouchard on the power play. <laughs> yeah, it's an element that, that that he has more than Barry in terms of shooting the puck. But Tyson Barry, if he goes, man, he he had a really good year. He came through on his promise to be a better defensive player. He came into the season saying that, 
and he mm-hmm. lived up to it. Now he was playing more often in a third pairing role than he had previously this year. <laughs> Bruce, let's finish off with one question that I have for you, Brett Kulak. So there's talk of him, and I've heard the numbers four years at two million dollars a year thrown out there. And and my initial thought on that was, you know, he would probably be the fifth defenseman on the Oilers for much of that time. He's just in that great wheelhouse mm-hmm. of his career. He's 27, 28. Mm-hmm. And heading into his best years of his career, the Oilers had a player like that in Chris Russell, who was kind of a probably best suited as a bottom pairing guy, spent mo- most of his time in his years in Edmonton playing in a top four role. Um, and um, he was well paid for a lot of a lot of those years. Right. But I think generally live generally the Oilers got decent value or okayish value on that contract. It was higher than Kulak's would be if Kulak signed at two million a year. But I'm not a <laughs> For a, a defenseman who's your fifth defenseman who can mm-hmm. move up and play in, in the top four, that seemed mm-hmm. like a reasonable price if the Oilers can get him at that. What do, What is your thought? Well, the Oilers have had that contract for a long, long time. And, that, and and in theory, that player who can, you know, drive your third pairing or, or hold his own on the second pairing. And, I mean, we're, we're going back to, uh, uh, I mean, Nick Schultz, he was supposed to be that guy. Andrew Ference was supposed to be that guy. Mark Fain was supposed to be that guy. And, and uh, uh, Chris Russell maybe was the closest one to that guy. And uh, last year, of course, uh, Chris Russell's uh, contract went down and, and his usage went down. Uh, but, of course, they brought in Duncan Keith at a little higher salary even than that. Like all those guys were four-year deals. Three and a half million to four million, somewhere in that, uh, in that sweet spot. And uh, for Kulak, I mean, he's 28, and you know, he's. A, I don't really see the need to be going four years. Like I, I would say, here's a two-year deal and earn another two-year deal at the end of it, as opposed to making that commitment. Because you've got a lot of guys locked in, right? You got CC locked in for three more years. Nurse, of course, for eight years. Uh, Bouchard, you'd like to think, you know, I mean, the team has control over him for the for the foreseeable future, even if he's not locked down under contract. And then you got Broberry uh, uh, underneath, uh, and I think ready to make the team in the fall, frankly. And so what you might think you need right now from Brett Kulak might be a different thing in uh, two or three years. Uh, and all that said, if you could get him at $2 million or, hold, you know, hold the line there, uh, that's maybe not bad value. What what they don't want to do is say, well, they came in here and played for, played okay for uh, a couple of months, <coughs> and you're already making almost two million as a third pairing guy, and what didn't, didn't even play every night. So let's give you a huge raise to come back and do that again. They just can't be doing that kind of stuff. They gotta they gotta hold the line and give them an appropriate salary for the expectations of the guy. I guess the the length of the deal would be to keep the cap hit down, right? Like they're giving maybe. him some security, mm-hmm. so they're giving him like instead of paying him two and a half, maybe he get two and a half some other place over three <sighs> years or something like that. They're giving him <clears throat> that amount of money over time, and and I so I agree, Bruce. Like if you could get him at two years at two million dollars, that would be preferable, especially because you have all these young players coming up, young defensemen. There's a whole raft mm-hmm. of them yeah. down in Bakersfield, and and one or two of them are probably going to be players. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, if they trade Barry, mm-hmm. and then they'll have a spot then for Philip Broberry, and you know, put him with on the right side and have Kulak out there with them. I mean, that would be a pretty big, mobile, um, mm-hmm. third pairing defense 
uh, that might work out for the Oilers. So. And I will just add to your point on Tyson Berry. I wish I had a loony for every time I've read this here or heard uh, someone say the Oilers should find a way just to get rid of that contract, as if the contract is the only thing that defines the player. And you know, and the best thing you can say about him is, well, he kind of covered the bets, so he shouldn't have to sweeten the pot just to get rid of the contract. And I hear precious little about Tyson Berry, the hockey player, and, and things that he did do to help his team. Like the humongous goal he scored to win game six in L.A. Against, you know, with the you know, season on the line, jumping up into the rush with five minutes left and pumping one past Jonathan Quick to, to win that <clears> game. <throat> or the huge play he made in game four against Calgary with a similar uh, shot from the slot where Nugent Hopkins cashed the rebound to win that game in the late going. You know, like he made he made plays that helped the Oilers win games. I mean, let's recognize that fact. And there's maybe a reason that he got paid and that, you know, I mean, sure, you can find mistakes. You can find mistakes with a lot of players. Uh, but he also did positive things. And it wasn't just, you know, a pass in the neutral zone to McDavid and he did all the rest. I mean, he made plays and they had positive outcomes. He was so good, Bruce, in the playoffs. He was, <coughs> he was, and those were such big plays, you know, mm. that, that goal he scored LA. against LA, like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm glad if he comes back at the same price he was at. He's a good hockey player. You need good hockey players to win in the NHL. But I do think in terms of asset he's management. The, he's the one that they've <clears throat> got the replacement for. Yes. He's got more value to another team than he does to the Oilers. He he will give extra value to another team playing in probably a top four role and on their power, running their power play. And, um, you know, if that happens, well, good luck to him. He, he certainly was great for the Edmonton Oilers and better in his second season and then in his first season. So, well, Bruce, why don't, uh, I think we've been going on. We will have lots of time to talk um, about other players. You're going to start to get into your player Yes. assessments i'm guessing so i spent this week looking at the at the roster and the contracts and you know the some of the implications of the salary cap with the way things are set up and i'm uh, ready to change that subject because uh, uh it's time to move on but in, more into the focus on the individual players and reviewing their season and their you know their potential role on the team going forward so that'll be the the focus for a while and i'm not sure we'll get through all the players because we're getting a late start because the team went to the conference finals david but we'll certainly cover the key guys on the team and the uh and the ones that you know are vulnerable we'll, we'll look at that uh maybe on the move especially the ones that you know either their contract has expired or there's an obvious replacement waiting in the wings but you know we'll focus on some of those uh, uh sort of leverage situations as uh, as uh uh, targets for our player review series. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for talking today. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. All right. Well, we did find a way to talk for an hour, so. Was it an hour? Holy shit. Yeah. What are, what are you writing about tonight? Ah, geez, I don't even know. Yeah, I had that problem last night, and I finally thought, well, I had that interesting chart of the two-year contract, so maybe I should just 
look and see how what he's done. And I, I don't know if that article was any good or not, but it was. Uh, I want to do something more on uh, players next. So I might do something on Pulley RV. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of similar to our discussion mm-hmm. today. Like, mm-hmm. um, man, he's just such a lightning rod. Like everybody yeah. has an opinion. Everybody loved him there for when he was when he was really scoring, and then once the scoring dried up, it's like he's useless. I'm sorry, he is not useless. You know, I agree, Bruce. Like we 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 I like there's so much recency bias with this player. Yeah. And um, he left a sour taste in everybody's mouth, you know, and but that's overlooking how he played all year. So I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to I'll try to, you know, I might it'll probably be something like uh, Oilers should stick with glue player pulley RV. Mm, <laughs> Sticky business. I'm finding those little words. If you figure like that, that Bazinga headline, mm-hmm. that story has been near the top of the journal website all week. And I think it's just because that stupid bazinga at the start. Yeah. I think okay. having that kind of exclamation uh-huh. or word yeah. that sums up your story, the feeling Shot, of your story. Shots fired being. Uh, yeah. Shot yeah. Shots shot. fired is, a, is the, <laughs> the ultimate one, you know, but if you don't have that, if you have something else like, uh, uh-huh. you know, like sticky business, I'll probably say mm-hmm. that if this one, that, that kind of caught, like it's for some reason, it's very tantalizing to the human brain. And, um, so in, in terms of writing headlines, I'm going to be going with that for the next little while. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. You know, that's always my obsession is uh, trying right, to. So you're writing up. tonight, Kurt, Saturday, <laughs> I'm Sunday night then. Yeah. And we're, next week, we'll just follow the same template yeah. this week. Yeah. And breaking news, of course, like Monday, I, I wrote, wrote that post about Malone because it just came down. Yeah, we'll have Woodcroft. You know. What's yeah. that? We'll have Woodcroft signing probably next week, so that'll come through one day. Let's hope so. <laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah. So this is why if it's I, good. If, if they if, blow if, that. Yeah. No, they won't. It's good if we can. Like, if we post at midnight, that's good then. Because, and sometimes you can't. Like, I didn't one day and you didn't one day. But if we do that at midnight, then if there is breaking news at 11 a.m., you yeah. know, the other post has had that a long time. And, right. and we're, yeah. we're, we're kind of set. Yeah. All righty. Thanks, Bruce. Talk to you later. Yeah. Have, have a good, good walk. Yeah, thanks. I'm going to head out there, too. Bye. Stop rain. Yeah.